Well, welcome again to Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are uh, visiting with us today. Glad you're, um, glad you're here. Now, here's the deal. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verse 12 today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, i got good news for you. All the verses are inside your program. They'll come up on the jumbotrons. They're going to come up over in the venue, which, by the way, welcome to all of you over in the venue. Thank you, Jared. And the team that leads worship over there. And if you're watching online, the verses even come up online uh, for you. Got to figure out how to do it on the radio, though. Um, not sure how that would work. But uh, if you don't own a Bible, and, and here's the deal, we're living in a time and a culture wherein some of you, uh, you don't own a Bible. And if you don't have one, you can go into the altar room afterwards and we'd love to give you a Bible. I often meet people, as crazy as this sounds, who they've never even seen a Bible before. That's the kind of culture we live in today. And we just want to make sure you have the Word of God for yourself and we give them away and we'd love to give you your first Bible. Maybe you're a couple and you don't own a Bible, we'll give you your first family Bible and just kind of put your finger in there because I need to do a couple of things here just real quickly. I need to walk through our uh, Christmas uh, season with you, okay, because it's fast uh, approaching. And I want you to take out your, uh, your, your little, uh, little program here, okay? Some of you probably noticed that it's uh, getting trim. It's getting thinner. We have it on a strict diet. And uh, actually, it's just a way for us to save uh, some, some shekels. But on the very back, you can see it says Christmas or, or celebrate Christmas, December 15th through the 18th. And our rhythm around here at Big Valley Grace is every Christmas season, we do a big, uh, what I call, crusade and uh, starting uh, uh, Thursday, December 15th at 7 o'clock, Friday the 16th at 7 o'clock, Saturday at 4 and 6, and then Sunday at 9 and 11, we do uh, a big crusade. Our choir, orchestra, bands, a lot of people have been working really hard now for months uh, learning some music and some things. And it's really a, a great moment for you and our community to come and, and hear some sacred music, holy music, great music uh, that really revolves around the season. And I guarantee you, uh, Christian, you come and you will have a great time. You'll be blessed. The, the inner man will be blessed. You'll have a great time. But here's the deal. We, we don't just do that so Christians can come together and have a great time. It's uh, the reason why I personally call it a crusade is because that, that puts into our minds a different, um, a different thought. And all around us, God has put people into our lives who, who are apart from him. They, they don't know the Lord. And the Bible says that God doesn't want anybody to die apart from him. And so what he does is he just literally brings people right to our, our door, you know, like the mailman the garbage man, the guy that mows your lawn, the guy that puts chemicals in your pool. You, you, you go hang out with somebody that combs your hair, cuts your hair, does your nails. You play golf in a foursome. You play tennis with some other people. You have folks in your neighborhood, family, friends that literally, you don't even have to hardly do anything to say, hey, I'd like to invite you to our Christmas uh, uh, celebration that we do. The music's gonna be great and all that kind of stuff. This is really a moment in history where we want you to think beyond just you having a great time at a musical or at this crusade. It's really designed for you to bring your, your friends who don't know the Lord. So we want you thinking about who they are and, and we want you to begin to pray for them. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Op open up the program and inside you'll see another little thing that says December 17th and 18th, Journey to Bethlehem. On that weekend, not Thursday and Friday, but on Saturday at 4 and 6 and Sunday at 9 and 11, our children's ministries uh, puts on this unbelievable um, uh, production called The Journey to Bethlehem. And it's every bit as great as what we do in here for adults. It's just designed for kids. And so if you have a child or you got a grandchild, uh, you got kids in your neighborhood or whatever it is, you're going to want to bring them to that while you're in here. And it is, it's really fantastic. Our, our kids' ministries just do a great job. 
and it's fantastic. You're gonna wanna bring them. Now, that, that brings me back to the little card that's inside your program. Okay, pull that out. Because this, is, this, this card is, is just really important to us and what I want you to do with it, I just simply want you to think about those that God has brought into your life. You may not know their name, you just might put the postman on here. You might put the garbage man on here. I, I don't know who it is, it could be the, 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 you know, the person that always checks you out down at the grocery store. It could be your favorite uh, waiter or waitress at your restaurant that you go to. And you don't know their names yet, but you're gonna, because you're gonna begin to pray for them. And what we want you to do is take these cards and when we're done here in a little while, you're gonna walk out these doors and we have a prayer wall out there and we just want you to tack them up there with those that were you know, put up there last night and last hour. And then get here a little bit early and pray for some of those names that are on that wall. Stay a few minutes after the gathering and go to that wall and just pray. I promise you, we as a staff will get to that wall often and we'll just pray for those people. Because here's the deal, you never want to talk to your friends about God until you talk to God about your friends. And this is just a great way to say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna believe that when I finally do invite my friend to you know, come here to the crusade, that they'll actually come. And so this, this card here, you're gonna put a name or two on it, and there might be somebody's name that you need to find out. Why don't you wait around out at the post, you know, the place where your mail comes, and just say, hey, look, man, thanks for delivering my mail. I never met you. My name is Rick. And what's your name? Bill? Great. Hey, Bill. I want to invite you to our church. And who knows, a simple invite like that could change a, a soul for, forever. So, so we want you to fill this out. You're gonna put them on the, the wall uh, over there and, and then we'll all begin to uh, pray. And then I wanna tell you about Christmas weekend, which is the weekend after our crusade. On uh, Saturday night, December 24th, we have three gatherings, one at two, one at 3.30, one at five. They're about 50, 55 minutes long and they're children friendly. We want you to bring your kids in here and it's, uh, we probably, I know I'm gonna kick myself, we probably should have added a, a fourth one because that is Christmas Eve and it's on a Saturday night. But uh, this place will be jammed up and it's, it's crazy chaos, it's organized chaos. We have a lot of children in here but uh, we also try to make it significant for adults that are here. Our choir and orchestra will be here to lead us in some music and things. And so you're gonna wanna make that a part of your Christmas weekend. And then on Christmas morning, which is a Sunday morning, the 25th, we're gonna have one gathering in here at nine o'clock. And here's what I need. Uh, if you would be willing to get here early, stay late and work in our children's ministries, would you just, just stand up real quick and sweet? <laughs> no. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Here's the deal. Obviously, hard to get laborers on that particular day. It's a shortened up service, and we're going to just sing some of the great carols of the season, the great carols of the faith. We'll have a message, and it also is children-friendly. And it would be a great way for you, before you start ripping open presents and doing all that kind of stuff, to say, hey, listen, we're going to go down to the church for 50, 55 minutes, sing some songs, hear a message, and then you can go to Grandma's house or wherever it is you're you're going to, to go, okay? So that kind of lays out a little bit of the Christmas uh, season for you. Now, uh, last week, I told you about these um, morn, uh, New Morning Mercies, a great devotional that I, I bought a bunch of books and O Ye of Little Faith, uh, uh, we sold out on Saturday night, last Saturday night. And they're only 10 bucks. It, this would just, you could start it tomorrow. It's just a great book, daily devotional. It, it's really, really good. And there's, there's some crummy devotionals out there. Really crummy. In fact, probably the most popular devotional out there, daily devotional, just crummy. This is solid. And it's 10 bucks. You can't get it cheaper than that anyplace else. And so I ordered a whole bunch more and I got them in. And uh, I only sold so many last night <laughs> because I needed to have enough for all of you in last hour. So when we're done, you can go out into the Welcome Center and we have them out there. You can go into the Resource Center and other places and over in the venue, you gotta make your way over here and um, we'll, you can put a great devotional in your hand and we ought, to, we ought to sell. It'd be a great gift for somebody. 
Just to put something in there where, you know, in the morning you wake up, you have your tea, your coffee, and you spend it with the Lord in a great, uh, great de- devotional. Well, one of the things we do here at Big Valley Grace, you know, we have gatherings on Saturday, Sunday at 9, it's like this. Uh, it's 11, over in the venue at 9 and 11, online audience. We, we just have a lot of people who come to Big Valley. And the family's big. And one of the ways we, we try to keep it small is we've been doing these Not Ashamed videos. And we just pick a family in our church and just kind of capture a little vignette of their life, of how God is working in their life. And we all get to meet a family. Well, this week, it's a family that a lot of you know. They've been a part of our church for about 30 years, and, and they're pretty, pretty special to us. It's Steve and Diane Warren. So check out the uh, Jumbotrons. This is Steve and Diane, and we've been with Big Valley a little over 30 years. We've been on the foreign field for 21 years, and now we're in transition, and it's great to be back in Modesto. Early on in our ministry, um, I reached a point where I really came very close to quitting. Um, The Lord had led Steve and I to take in um, ex-convicts into our home and guys coming out of prison. At that time, we had three small children under the age of four, but we felt strongly that these guys coming out of prison or drug addicts, they really need to experience a surrogate family and see Jesus fleshed out. Well, these guys were not so easy to live with. These guys are heroin addicts, some of them. Yeah, they would steal tools and chainsaws and lawnmowers. They would take our children's piggy banks. One time I, I went to go get some milk out of the refrigerator to give the kids, and I realized at that point that one of the guys had gotten in and he drank the milk. I had gotten to the point where I just couldn't do it any longer. I didn't want to disappoint my husband because I knew that this was God's leading in, in our lives. But it all came to a head when we got to, someone paid for us to go to Mount Hermon. And, you know, we were enjoying that delicious food and the comfortable beds, and it was such a contrast to this daily struggle we had been going through. And I just thought, Lord, I cannot go on. I'm just, I want to quit. And um, I got alone with the Lord, and in His graciousness, He led me to a passage of Scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble that came upon us in Asia, and that is in Modesto, (laughs) that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And I thought, boy, that sure sounds like me. Well, later that day, we drove home in silence and sure enough we got there and it was a zoo. I left Steve to deal with all the craziness and um, several hours later he he came in and I couldn't help it. I, I burst into tears and I shared with him that I really wanted to quit but that God had led me to this scripture and I shared that and then Steve was really silent. And um, he said, you know, he said, I've been struggling with the very same thing. And God gave me the same scripture. We were both at the end of ourselves that we didn't want to go on, but apparently God had allowed that, that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I'm glad I didn't know it at the time, but we went on for 11 years doing that ministry. The Bible study in our home that just started with the guys and us grew to over 100 people. And we would have missed out if we had given up that first year, but it was a fiery year. Over the number of years of doing uh, ministry and not being ashamed of the gospel, we have found ourselves uh, falling short many times, not taking all the opportunities that we had. But now as we're both getting older, we do look forward to taking every opportunity we have because we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. We are Steve. No, okay. Okay, count, one, count two, three. three. One, two. We, we are, are not Steve. Ashamed. We. That's great. Okay. 
We are Stephen Diane Warren. And we are not ashamed of the gospel <laughs> of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, um, Steve and Diane Warren are, are crazy. <laughs> crazy for, for King Jesus. I mean, I'm, 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 t I'm telling you, they're crazy. They're just unbelievably crazy for, ki for the king. And I, I often think to myself, let, let me just tell you, I often think to myself, in fact, when I saw the video this past week, I remember praying, God, I wonder, you know, who's gonna take Billy Graham's place, you know, when he passes away? I mean, there really just isn't anybody, really. And I, I wondered, who's gonna take Steve and Diane Warren's place in our church? Just two crazy, radically saved King Jesus followers who have forsaken it all to, to follow Jesus. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things I do when I read the scriptures, like I have, I have these images in my mind of, you know, what Peter, James, and John look like and who Matthew look like and Timothy and Paul. I, I have these images. I know what they look like. I'm very, I like to, when I read it, I, I got these pictures in my mind of them. And let me just tell you, when I read in the Gospels about John the Baptist, right there, Steve Warren. I'm not kidding. That's who comes. That's what I think of. John the Baptist, crazy guy, just a crazy, crazy guy. And uh, Steve Warren is one of those crazy, crazy guys for, for Jesus. Okay, Romans chapter five. You're all there. Look at verse twelve. Verse twelve. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Why? For everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, even before the Ten Commandments was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Now this is, uh, I'm going to stop right there. This is a, a really great text. It's a, it's a rich, rich uh, text. But before I get into it, I want to just do a, a, a really quick review of where we've been, okay? There are basically five sections to the book of Romans or the letter that Paul wrote to the believers who were in Rome. There are, there are five major sections. The first section is Romans chapters one, two, and basically through the end of chapter three. And we spent three months going through that first section of Romans one, two, and three. And this section I entitled, the first section, I entitled it, The Problem. The first thing that the great apostle does is he lays out the problem that we all have as human beings, and that is sin, and the consequences that sin brought into all of our lives, that, that being God's wrath. The message of section one is that every one of us has blown it. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has disobeyed God. There's not one person who stands righteous before God. We're, we're all ungodly. We're all unholy. We're all evil to some degree. And because of this, we're all doomed to hell. That's the message of Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. And here's the most important thing for us all to understand we were absolutely powerless to do anything about it. We couldn't fix the problem of sin. 
God could have just wiped us off the planet. He, he should have wiped us off the planet, but he didn't. And the reason why he didn't was because he's a God of love and compassion and mercy and grace. He's a God of salvation. And because of these things and more, God uses his power to send you and I the good news. He uses his power to send us the gospel, the Messiah, the, 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 the Savior, the, the, the good news that through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, everything could be made right between you and God. The, the great prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter 13. He said, can the Ethiopian change his skin? No. Or can the leopard change its spots? No. Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. And that's just really, really vivid, isn't it? I mean, you, you can't miss God's point. We as human beings don't have the ability to change our nature. Only God can do that. And it happens at the very moment you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ, which is what section two is all about. And it makes sense as these five sections are, are, are in an order. And so Paul writes, sin, the problem, and now he's in the uh, ending here of, of Romans 5 of the solution, the solution being Jesus Christ. And this is where we're at today. Now, in the few verses that we're going to look at today, we're only going to look at a basically three or four of these these verses answer a, a lot of really important questions. Things like, why is there sin in the world? Why is there evil in the world? Why do people die? How do, how do we get into this mess? How, how did you know, all this sin and evil get started? Those are some of the questions he's going to answer. But the number one question that Paul answers here at the end of Romans 12, where we're at, is this. He's thinking about when this letter would have been read in the church. And the church would have been filled with Jewish people. And he's got them in mind. And the question he wants to answer is this. Okay, Paul, you've told us about all of this sin and, and how sin has messed us all up and how sin has brought the, the wrath of God upon all of our lives. You, you, you've hammered home this point of the ugliness of sin but you're telling us that one guy has the power to change all the mess that sin brought? One guy? Jesus? And that's the question that Paul is going to deal with right here at the end of Romans chapter 12. And so over the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, we're going to look at some of these questions, and we're going to look at this one major question that Paul's going to answer. So here we go. Paul basically makes four points in these first few verses. And the first point he makes is this. Adam is to blame for sin entering the human race. Okay, now I want you to follow this. One guy is responsible for all of sin. Okay, so, so he's going to build a case here. That one guy, Adam, is to blame for sin entering the human race. Look at verse 12 again. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. First of all, let me tell you this, that Adam was a real person, okay? Paul is referring to him as if he was a real person. Jesus refers to Adam as if he were a real person. He wasn't some fictional character. Adam was as real as you are, as I am. And I'm gonna talk more about him here in just a moment. But before I, I do, it's important that you understand that Paul doesn't say that sin originated with Adam, because it didn't. Sin originated with Satan. You need to understand that. First John chapter three gives us some some really weighty information. John writes this, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God came 
The reason we celebrate Christmas, the reason you put a tree up in your house and a wreath on your door and lights around your house, the reason there is a Bethlehem, the reason why we celebrate Christmas, the reason why the, the Messiah came, the, the Savior came, the, the gospel came was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. That was his purpose in coming. What Paul is saying in, in verse 12 is that Adam was simply the person who brought sin into the human race. Now, I want you to think about this just, just for a moment. I'm, gonna, I'm going somewhere with this, okay, so hang with me. Noah had a, a lot of really unique things about him. He, he was the very first human being ever created. I want you just to kind of Kind of think about that for a moment. That there was a, a time in history where he was the only person on planet Earth. Let's think about that. Genesis chapter two says this, the Lord God formed the man, that's Adam, from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man, that's Adam, became a living being. This has always been one of my favorite verses because it gives us some really beautiful imagery, doesn't it? God just doesn't go, okay, human being. He could have. But there's this idea, there's this imagery that, you know, God gets down on the ground and he begins to take the mud and he forms, you know, a leg and then another leg and then some feet and then a waist and a chest and some arms and a, and a human head. And he doesn't even go, okay, get up. Doesn't do that. There's this thought that God bends over. And he breathes into the nostrils the breath of life. And the first human being comes to life. It's this beautiful, beautiful thought here. You get to see how intimate and personal God is. He, he just doesn't snap his finger and say, hey, buddy, you know, get up. He, he stoops over his special creation and he breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. That's just, just really crazy. Now, now, as you can imagine, Adam and God had an unbelievable relationship. They had a relationship that we have never had. You see, at that moment, Adam has not sinned. Sin has not entered into the world. That infection hasn't tainted Adam. In fact, the sin, the, the, the infection of sin hasn't tainted all of creation. I love a red Gerber daisy, but the red Gerber daisies that I have in my garden have all been tainted with sin. I love the, the grandeur of a, of a redwood, but a redwood has been tainted by sin. All of creation has been tainted by sin. At this moment, Adam has never sinned. And so they have this unbelievable relationship with one another. Adam did everything God told him to do. They, they were in perfect harmony with one another. None of us in this room could, could make that statement that we've done everything that God has ever wanted us to do. No, we've been tainted with, with sin. Adam had never disobeyed God up until this point. Well, there comes a moment when God sees that it's not good for Adam to be alone and out of his great love for him, God creates the second human being and that was Eve. Now, not only did Adam have a perfect relationship with God, but so did Eve. Because once again, sin had not entered into the world. And so now you have the first man and the first woman and God. And that just must have been just crazy cool. No sin. The two of them just obeyed God perfectly. Just, just crazy but something terrible happens. Something that will change everything forever. 
In fact, it's so terrible, about 8,000 years have gone by, and right here in Modesto, California, we still experience the aftershocks of this moment. Genesis chapter 3 records that moment like this. The serpent, and that's the devil, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made, and one day he asked the woman, he asked Eve, remember, there's no sin in the world. Sin has not impacted either one of them. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Right out of the gate, we see Satan's strategy, don't we? He's attacking the word of God, and he's still doing it today. Really? Come on, you Christians are nuts. Is that really God's word? How do you know? It's an old book. How do you really know? The attack on the word of God today isn't a new strategy. It's been around since the beginning of time. Of course, Eve said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God told us that, that if we eat from it or touch it, we're, we're going to die. Even read her Bible. She knew what God had said. She knew, God had told Adam and Eve, it's all yours, enjoy it. I'm gonna be your God, you're gonna be my people, I'm gonna take care of you. As far as the eye can see, it's all yours. Just stay away from that one tree. Don't eat from that one. It's a pretty simple command. Much like everything in this book, it's pretty simple. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and I'm sure it was, and its fruit looked delicious. I, I'm sure it, it, it was. And she wanted, you know, the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her. A lot of people have this idea that when this was all going down, you know, Adam was out picking berries somewhere. He wasn't around. He was around. He was right there. He's watching this all go down. We're now going to see the first case of lack of male leadership in a home. She gives a piece of that fruit to her man. And I'm sure all of the angels of heaven were gathered around just watching what was going on in the garden. What would he do? And there are three words in your Bible, just messed up everything. He has the fruit and then your Bible says this, and he ate. Boom! Everything changed. At that moment, everything changed. We have no idea how much that, those three words just goofed up everything. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is one of the most significant moments in all of history. This is the moment that, that changed everything. When Adam blew God off and disobeyed him, for the very first time, sin entered the human race and it set into motion a lot of bad stuff, a lot of really, really bad stuff. Stuff that you and I have to deal with today. You see, at that moment, Adam and Eve's nature changed. They were no longer perfect in God's eyes. They, they disobeyed and sinned and their perfect nature changed. They now had what we call a sinful nature and that sinful nature was like an infection or a virus or maybe even like a birth defect, if you will, that has been passed down from one generation to the next generation. We call it the Adamic nature. That's the big $10 theological word. It's called your Adamic nature. Psalms chapter 51 says this. King David makes this statement. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, 
sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And he's not talking about the fact that a husband and a wife would make love and have a baby. He's not talking about that. That's a beautiful time. That's a beautiful act. There's nothing sinful in that. What he's saying here is this, is that when the microscopic sperm of his father got together with the microscopic egg of his mother, boom, at that moment, at the, at the moment of conception, not only was the genetic code there for how tall you would be or how short you would be or what color your eyes would be or what color your hair would be, but you also at that very moment had a sinful nature. You inherited the Adamic nature at that very moment. That's what Psalms 51 is talking about here. And this is all due to Adam. At the moment the sperm and the egg get together, at that moment, that human life within the womb of a woman has an Adamic nature. Understand that? That makes sense? Now I'm not gonna talk about it, but, but this is why the virgin birth is so important. Because if Jesus has the sperm of a human man and an egg from a human woman, boom, at that moment of conception, you now have a person that has an Adamic nature, a sinful nature. And Jesus could have hung on the cross all day long and shed his blood all day long and his blood wouldn't have cleansed you from your sin because his blood would have been every bit as tainted as mine and yours. And my blood won't cure anybody. Only his will because his blood was different than ours. He didn't have a human father. Okay? And like I said, I, w I could talk on that for weeks, but I'm not going to. So, so Paul's first point is that Adam is responsible for sin entering the world. Now his second point is this. Adam is also to blame for the consequences that sin brought, which was death. Once again, look at verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Here's the deal. There's no biblical truth more obvious to people than the inevitability of death. Every town in the world has at least one cemetery, right? The planet is literally covered with them. And it's no respecter of persons. You know, poor people die, you know, rich people die, black people die, white people die, babies die, young people die, old people die, beggars die. Do you realize that Bill Gates, the richest guy on the planet, he's gonna die someday, doesn't matter how much money you got. Someone once said that death is the, the great equalizer in, in life. Death is the, the undisputed victor in life because it always wins. Every person on the planet but two have died, and that's Enoch and Elijah. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 says, No man has the power over the wind to contain it, so no one has the power over the day of his death. You, you don't have the power over it. It's going to happen. For some of you, it may happen today. I don't know. That's just a reality of life. Everybody dies. Everybody. I heard about this undertaker, this mortician, who instead of ending his letters with, you know, sincerely yours, he ended all of his letters eventually yours. <laughs> I, read, I giggled in my office all week over that. I just want you to know that. I just thought that was super funny. But what is death? What is death? Beloved, there are two biological twins in Scripture. Sin and death. And they always go together. They're forever linked. When you see one, you see the other. Romans chapter 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But once again, what is death? Well, the Bible tells us about really three different deaths. Let me, let, me, let me quickly share them with you. Number one, you've got physical death. 
And physical death is universal, right? As I said a moment ago, there's coming a day when everybody's heart's gonna stop beating. It might be because of old age or some disease or some tragedy like a, a car wreck or some other type of accident or whatever, but I can guarantee you everybody in this room is going to die. Your heart will stop beating unless the Lord comes back again. And we can all thank Adam for this. The reason why you will die is because of Adam. When a loved one of yours dies, you can thank Adam. When you read the obituary on any given day, you can thank Adam for that. The reason why we have an obituary page is because of Adam. Here's the deal. If Adam had never sinned, Theoretically, he would have lived forever. Well, he would have lived forever because it's sin that brings death. If he does not sin and sin does not enter the world, he lives forever in perfect harmony and unity with God. But sin also brought a second death and this one's also universal and that's spiritual death. Now, this is much more serious than physical death. This is the major consequence of sin in the Bible. When Adam sinned, something died inside of him. He, he died spiritually. At the moment he ate, at that moment, his relationship with the God that created him was severed. Now, the process of physical death began with the first act of disobedience, right? Eating the, the fruit that God stay, said stay away from. But did he die immediately? No. He doesn't die for hundreds of years. I've been alive for 55, so I haven't, I haven't died yet. Physical death sometimes takes time. Spiritual death, on the other hand, is just, it happens immediately. Immediately. When, when we're born, we're born sinful. We're basically born apart from God. Now, some of you are asking, well, what about babies that go to heaven? Yes, they do. And I'm not gonna get into to, to that at this moment. But sin separates us immediately from God. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I want you to think about it. You don't leave life if you've already got it, right? So here's Jesus saying, hey, I've come to give you life. I'm sure there were some people going, what's he talking about? I am alive. He's not talking about being alive physically. He's talking about being alive spiritually. You only need life if you don't have it. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter two. He said, once you were dead, because of your disobedience and your many sins. You, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Now, what you gotta do is you gotta think to yourself, how can you live and be dead at the same time? It's because Paul's talking about spiritual death. Paul's saying that before you became a believer, you were dead spiritually. Some of you are here right now, which means obviously you're alive physically but you're dead spiritually. I used to go to church, went to church uh, uh, when I was younger and I was physically alive down at First Baptist. I was physically alive at Modesto Covenant, but I sat in there and I was spiritually dead. I didn't know the Lord. Now the third death is this, it's eternal death. Now, eternal death doesn't happen until you take your last breath here on planet earth. Jesus said this in John chapter five. He said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears these words of mine and believes him who sent me has eternal life and he will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I want you to listen to me very carefully, okay? When you die physically, and you're dead spiritually, you die eternally. Okay? I want you to get this. 
When you die physically, when you take your last breath and you're dead spiritually, you die eternally. But if you die physically and you were made alive spiritually through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you live eternally. Does that make sense? Listen, someday you'll either go to eternal life or to eternal death, heaven or hell. And that place is decided by the choices you make now while you're alive physically. Ecclesiastes chapter seven says, death is the destiny of every man, every woman, the living should take this to heart. In other words, because death is coming while you're alive physically, you ought to give it some thought. Because once you take your last breath here, you, you, you don't get another shot at this thing. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you ought to fear all three of these deaths. Really. But for those of us that know Jesus Christ, the, the fear of these deaths has been, has been removed. Point number three, Paul's third point is this. The consequence that sin brought, which was death, it spread to all men. Once again, verse 12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this same way death came to all men, all people, because we all have sinned. As I stated earlier, death claims 100% of the people 100% of the time. And why is that? Because everybody has an Adamic nature. We all have an Adamic nature. If a pregnant woman has an infection, is it possible for her to pass the infection on to the baby she's carrying? Absolutely. And it's also possible for generation after generation to carry down birth defects, isn't it? Well, the same thing is true with the sinful nature. The Bible says that once Adam sinned, once that moment happened, Adam just passed down the death gene from generation to generation to generation to your great, 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 great grandpa, to your great, 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 great grandpa, to your great, great, great grandpa, to your great grandpa, to your grandpa, to your father, and he passed it on to you. So don't ever complain that you didn't get an inheritance. Because you... Because you did. <laughs> it's an infection that's been passed down to all of us and it brought death to all. If you need proof that you're born with a sinful nature, just look at a child. How many moms in here when you're, you know, you had your baby and then they got a little bit older, you sat them down in a room and you said, okay, I wanna teach you how to be disobedient. You don't teach a child how to be disobedient. They already know how to do it. What do we teach our children? How to be obedient. They're naturally disobedient. What we do is when they're disobedient, we gotta tell them, you know, put them over our knee. And if you don't do that, I'm, I'm sorry you don't do that. Because you need to. The Bible says you need to do that. Now, I, I'm gonna get a ton of emails on it. I, I, I just, I, I want you to know, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't email you back, okay, just telling you. I know some of you, oh, that's horrible, spanking a kid. I, I get it, I get it. I got spanked in class and I lived, imagine that. <laughs> I didn't need to go to a healing place. Um, unbelievable. You want any more proof, just take, uh, just take, I don't know, two four-year-olds, put them in a room with one ball. You don't have to teach your kids how to be selfish. You just see the Adamic nature. It's there. Now, the world doesn't want to talk about it. The world doesn't want to deal with it. Let me tell you something. Pam, when you really give your life to Christ and you begin to study this, 
you just go, this just, whole thing just makes sense. The whole thing just makes sense. And Paul's final point is this. History proves that death is universal and that all men are sinners. I want you to look at verse 13 and 14. These are sometimes hard to understand and, and I wanna make sure you get it here. He says, but, uh, or before the law was given, before the 10 commandments were given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. Now, I wanna make sure you, you, you get this. Here's his argument. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that in Genesis chapter three, sin enters the world. The Adamic nature happens. And so uh, they're Adam and Eve's children, you know, Cain and Abel and Seth and all of them, they all have the sinful nature. In fact, it doesn't take very long for one of the siblings to kill another, you know, his other sibling. And so sin is happening. Death is happening and happening and happening. And it's not... You know, it's all these, you know, years later, you get to Gen or Exodus chapter 20, and now God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. Now we all know, wow, look, I'm sinful, right? I get it. The, the, the Ten Commandments were, were given to us to let us know that we're, we're, we're sinful. We knew we were breaking God's laws. So here's the deal. Were people dying from the moment of Adam to the time of Moses? <laughs> yes. Why? Because they were sinful. The Adamic nature had impacted all of these lives. They were all dying. It didn't matter whether they had the law or not. It didn't matter whether they knew they were sinning or not. The fact that people were dying before the law was ever given is proof that people are sinful because sin brings with it death. In other words, we aren't sinful because we sin. We sin because we're sinful. Does that make sense? I know I'm breaking the law when I go down Tully because the government puts a, a sign up that says I can only do 35. So if I do 40, I know I'm breaking the law. And what you can do is you can say, well, these people from Adam to Moses, they didn't know they were breaking the law. You're right. They didn't know they were breaking the law. It's not until the, until the law comes that they go, oh, I can only do 35 out here, but it didn't matter to God. Adam had sinned. You see sin and the impact of sin long before the law comes. You and I have inherited from Adam this ugly, ugly nature, the Adamic nature. And every one of us will die. Here's the deal. You're here and you don't believe in God's word. I get it. You will die. Those of us that believe in God and his word, we will die. We're all gonna die, and it's all because of Adam. One man, this is the point that Paul's making, one man brought all this mess into humanity. But in God's grace, there will be another man. Remember, he's trying to tell the Jews, he's trying to inform the Jews He's trying to give them an illustration that yes, one man has the power to make everything right because one man screwed it all up. There's another man. Look at verse 14. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift, the gift of Christ, the gift of the gospel, the good news, the Messiah, the Savior. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So what he's done is he's just given the Jewish people and us this unbelievable illustration that you know what? One man brought this mess onto us all, but guess what? There's another man who can bring redemption to it all. In other words, the, 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 the power of Jesus Christ's obedience overcomes Adam's act of disobedience. You see, Jesus came to planet Earth and he lives this perfect life, this holy life, this righteous life for all of us. His obedience trumps Adam's disobedience. You see that? Here, here, here's the deal. I want you to understand something. God sees basically two types of people. You're, you're one of these two types of people here or in the venue or watching online or listening on the radio. Two types of people. You're either in Adam. You're in Adam. Or you're in Christ. You're one of those two. We all start life in Adam. Most of us in this room are in Christ, but we all started in Adam. You're not born in Christ. Well, I was born into a Christian family. I don't care. That didn't save you. We all start in Adam. Apart from God, we have our Adamic nature. We're disobedient to God by nature. And that has brought the wrath of God upon all of our lives. But God in his great love for us sent the Messiah, the Savior. He sent the good news. He sent the gospel. He was born in the town of Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago. And he grew up, as I said, and lived this unbelievable life for you. He lived it for you. A perfect life he lived for you. A sinless life he lived for you. And he, he voluntarily went to a cross. The Romans didn't put him on that cross. The Jews didn't put him on that cross. He, he was God. He could have done anything he wanted to. But he did it because he cares about you deeply. And he voluntarily went to a cross and he shed his blood his royal blood, blood that wasn't tainted with sin. He, he didn't have an Adamic nature. He didn't have a sinful nature, and he shed that blood for you, and then they put him into a tomb, and three days later, like it's a, it was a, a no-brainer that three days later he'd walk out. He was the son of God. Amen. So it was just like, and he, he did that just to prove to us. He didn't need to prove it to himself. He, he was proving to us, I am who I said I am, and that is the Son of God. Death couldn't hold me. Amen. And then he says, hey, look, though you have an Adamic nature, you give your life to me. You accept me into your life, and I'll come, and I'll make everything new again. I'll make it new again. One man, one man could pull that off. God's son could pull that off. And for many of us, we, we've given our lives to Christ. We're, we're in Christ. So my, I'll end with this. I'll just end with one little question and only you can answer it. And that's this, where, where are you at today? Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? I used to be in Adam. I'm in Christ now. And here's the deal. 
If you're sitting out there, sitting over in the venue and you're going, man, I, I, I know exactly where I'm at. I've never given my life to Christ. In fact, I walked in here today thinking Christianity was stupid. God was stupid. Jesus was dumb. I just put a tree up because I just like presents, you know. But all of a sudden, God in his mercy has opened your eyes to the truth. You get it. Wasn't me. Wasn't the music. It's the Lord. He's the one who, for whatever reason, opened your eyes right now. And you can run out of here real quick and be the first one in line, you know, at Tahoe Joe's or, you know, wherever it is you go and have lunch and, you know, you'll get your food before everybody else. Or, I got a better thought for you. Why don't you make your way into the altar room? And there's one over in the venue and just say, hey, I'm here and I, I, I'm in Adam. I want to be in Christ. I want to, I want to settle the issue of death and all that. I, I, I need Christ. I want him. And our elders and spiritual leaders are in there and we, all you got to do is come in and go, I'm in Adam. Just say that. I'm in Adam. And it'll be a great joy to pray with you and and uh, you'll walk out of here no longer in Adam, but you'll be in Christ and all the great benefits that come along with knowing the other man. <laughs> the other man. Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand up over in the venue? Stand up in here. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, today. I, I really, really enjoyed this whole weekend, God. The music was great. Uh, last hour, having... The Reicherts here leading us in worship. That was really special, Lord. I, I enjoyed the music today. Thanks, God, for our worship team. Enjoyed a chance for people to love you by giving. And thank you for your word. So unbelievably rich. Man. Thank you, God, for helping us to understand this world that we live in, the life that we we live, all the stuff that's going on. I pray for those who know they're in Adam, God, may they make their way into the altar room. That today might be an unbelievable day of change in their life. Father, thanks for your goodness, and I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, don't forget to pick up your, your book, okay? We've got a bunch of them out there for you. Blessings. <laughs>